Hello and welcome to a special episode of Women with Balls, sponsored by Lloyd's Banking Group. Women make up half of the workforce in the UK, yet when it comes to high-skilled, high-income jobs in tech, just 26% are female, with men in 77% of exec-level roles. Having a job as a tech professional no longer conforms to the Silicon Valley stereotypes. Jobs filter into almost every sector and applicants are discovering they don't need a maths or tech background to retrain themselves. But given the growing sector, where are the women? Research shows that the gender gap in technology starts at school and carries on through every stage of a woman's life. The government's approach to bridging the gap has focused on STEM subjects in schools, but should more emphasis be placed on encouraging women of all ages to learn new skills and explore opportunities that could offer career progression? To discuss this, I'm joined by Sharon Doherty, who's the Chief People and Places Officer at Lloyd's Banking Group. Nusrat Ghani, Conservative MP for Wilden East Sussex and Minister for both Business and Trade and the Cabinet Office. Finally, Annalisa Dodds, Labour MP for Oxford East and Shadow Secretary of State for Women and Equalities. So to start off, Sharon, I wonder if I could come to you, which is when we are talking about tech jobs, I think there's obviously that stereotype, and I say this as someone who's married to a coder, of a you know, young guy in a t-shirt sitting on a beanbag in a WeWork. But tech jobs encompass much more these days. What do you think we're talking about here? Yeah, there are a few of those and we like them, so that's all good. Uh, Yeah, so what's a tech job? I think about it in two ways, really. Firstly, there are those people that design build and run technology and I think uh, all of us are finding that we need more and more of those types of people inside our organisations. If I take Lloyd's we've got 20 million folks on our digital platform so we need people doing that but also what you're seeing now is most of us need to have digital skills so probably 90-99% of the organisations that we're in need to be using technology on a day-to-day basis. I think the difference that you find is if you're in a software company, I used to work for Finastra, a scaled financial services software company, then you'll have more people with those types of skills. I don't know, maybe 40-50% of your workforce will have those sorts of skills. If you're in somewhere like Lloyd's Banking Group, it's probably 20-30% to of people that will have those hardcore technology skills, but pretty much everybody is digital now. And Annalisa, why do you think it is that there is a shortage of women in these roles that we've just been talking about? Well, I think this is the subject for this podcast yeah, really isn't it to, to, <laughs> to work through I mean I think there are so many drivers of that massive gap in female representation in tech and of course this is going to become even more of an issue as we see the percentage of jobs in tech increasing you know just as Sharon was saying we already see the use of tech being very very common in lots of different jobs but actually those which are more specifically based in science and technology predicted to be growing twice as fast as other kinds of jobs over the next five years. So we feel that there's a a range of different factors driving this gap. You know, first of all, as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, there is a big problem clearly when it comes to girls' aspirations at school and whether they're being supported in viewing these kinds of jobs as for them. You know, we see from survey evidence that girls and indeed also young women at university they're about five times less likely to say that a job in tech is their number one priority compared to men you know, and boys who are at school. There's a big, big gap there. That does mean far better careers advice, you know, obviously something that we've 
argued for from opposition. But then you also need to be, I think, dealing with some of the cultural factors here as well. You know, I see, in fact, you know, with my, my own kids, I see how from a young age, very often, even toys that are marketed towards girls and boys, very, very different. Tech-based toys marketed much more heavily at boys than they are at girls. And then, of course, that then feeds through into whether the workplace is right for women, you know, particularly when it comes to issues around childcare, around flexibility at work, where there are big, big problems a lot of the time. Again, we think there can be change there so that we can enable women to be combining a family with those jobs. Of course, men should be enabled to do it as well. You know, this isn't just critical for those women, but a lot that needs to change there from our point of view. And Nissa, I suppose from the government view, how much do you see this as a problem, some of the shortages we're talking about? Um, we hear a lot about growth, but clearly there's something that could unlock growth. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, it's not just unique to us in the UK. There's a, a global shortage of talent, especially when it comes to science and tech. And we just heard earlier on what we think tech is. And if young women don't know the opportunities in tech, and also if they don't realise actually a lot of their ambitions can be met if they study a STEM subject. So, I mean, I, I was recently at a, a life science conference dealing with everything from COVID to finding new ways of dealing with cancer all of those programs or all of those entrepreneurs coming up with these ideas had someone that was involved in tech in their institution. And a lot of women want to be involved in caring professions or health professions, so you need to be involved in tech to do that, but they just don't know. And it's something that Annalisa said earlier on, it's about getting to young girls really early. In a previous life, I was a transport minister and a part of my job was the year of engineering, where we reached out to a million primary school kids and their parents. And we just have to hope that throughout the 10 years they continue in education, that enough of them will keep STEM subjects as a viable option when they graduate. I mean, there is some good news. I was just looking up the recent Forbes and PwC work. And since 2009 and 2020, there's been a 30% increase in girls starting STEM A-levels. And there's been a 50% increase in women doing STEM undergraduate courses. But the problem we have is when you look at the workforce, it doesn't reflect that at all. Only 29% then enter the workforce. So I would say, I always see this as an issue from pipeline, getting to the, the girls when they're young, to promotion, because you not only do you have to get them interested, you've got to attract them, recruit them, retain them. The number of women that leave STEM jobs compared to men, there's a huge, vast difference. And also to promote them. The most recent PwC report pointed out that only 5% of leadership positions in tech are held by women. That's not going to encourage young girls to come forward if they can't see the sorts of people like them doing incredibly well in sectors that they think are often not a place for them to go to. And Sharon, I just wanted to, on that in terms of the perception, you mentioned your own personal experience working in this. How did you find it? Can you see why some people might think it's a boys club? Yeah, so I would say I've worked in technology. I would not say I'm a technologist. And I think, you know, things are really changing. There's some fantastic role models now. I was watching Hannah Fry. Yeah, you know, we need to get more women with STEM-type backgrounds on television, in social media, looking fantastic and sounding amazing and really challenging the way we think about women in technology. So I think things are changing, but I think there is more to do. And, uh, you know, as I look at Lloyd's Banking Group, Charlie Nunn, he's a year in, and he's got pretty much 50% of women on his senior team. When we look at technology, we've just appointed some real big hitting chief information officers. Three out of seven of them are women. Yeah, now we'd like that to be even more. But, you know, 
know, you can do it and young women need to see these role models. And if you look at role models, six out of 10 women really are inspired by role models versus four out of 10 men. And actually when you go to young women, it's seven out of 10. So it's really important and companies need to get these examples so women believe they can do these jobs. Now, I want to talk a bit about obviously industry and post-education, but I think probably now is a good point when we're talking about role models. And as you're talking about the importance of drumming it in at an early age, so, you know, they're not occupations that are particularly for one gender. So I wondered, do you think businesses should be collaborating more with schools potentially? Would perhaps seeing a role model be a helpful thing? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think having that stronger connection between business and schools can be really important as part of a more structured approach to career advice as well and to getting that engagement. I would say also that applies when it comes to universities too and other forms of kind of research institutes that, you know, it can be quite critical for them to be engaging with schools and it can make a massive difference. You know, I was thinking when Sharon was speaking about, in fact, a close friend of mine, you know, I have the privilege of representing part of Oxford where there are a lot of technologists, a lot of scientists, a good friend of mine who is a computer scientist as well as being a medic who helped to literally invent the vaccine. Okay, you'd expect me to to say that maybe. I'm very, very proud of it, representing part of Oxford. But just the impact that her example has had for the kids who know her, you know, obviously for her son, but then for people who've come across her and that she could talk about that and they could be inspired by it and see it as something for them, not something that's closed off, something that's right in their community, I think is incredibly important. I mean, where I think we need to see changes that very often these kinds of initiatives will just be on the basis of a few enthusiasts, you know, a few people doing it on top of their existing work, maybe. Actually, we need to see this being much more joined up across the board. The issue that we have is if there's only 5% of leadership positions filled by women, we're asking them to do another side job, which is to spend a huge amount of their time coming out and showcasing what they do, which is brilliant, to try and encourage more young girls to come forward. This is the pressure that you then come under if you are unique in the position that you hold. And often we forget about that. And it's not the same pressure that men would come under to spend a huge amount of time networking, huge amount of time visiting schools. So we need to get men involved in this too and to talk about the fact that they want women in the workplace as well. Otherwise, I just think you end up working so hard to do a job that you love, to become prominent in an organisation or in a field, and then you've got to spend half of your time going out and promoting it and not being in the institution doing the work that you've got to do. It's a double whammy for women when there are very unique in STEM jobs. Yeah, Sharon, what do you think of that? And I suppose the idea of um, whether businesses could collaborate a bit more with schools and perhaps universities. Yeah, so look, I love that idea. And um, we are doing some local community work in the Midlands, actually, where we're working with 50 teachers trying to help them increase their digital skills so they can take that back into the classrooms. And I think that's really, really important. Companies working proactively in their communities. I think there's a few things I just want to call out and add. I think if women are generally finding it tough, women of colour, ethnic minorities, it's double. So I think there's extra focus, extra effort required to sort of think about this um, more broadly. I think it's also true that it isn't all going in the right direction and there still are biases and we know there are biases within families, within schools. We see that, the drop-off. So there's two 
few people doing STEM, there's too few people doing engineering. But actually, as young women are finishing university, you've got only 23% of those actually using that tech qualification versus nearly 45% of men. So we, we need to get into education and say, OK, you know, how are we going to encourage more women to get pulled through? And we, we can see it's small things like who gets to answer questions in classrooms. Yeah, research shows it's more boys than it is girls. And this is all just these little drips that's reinforcing that you're not good at STEM, you're not good at tech, this isn't the right career for you. Why don't you look at more of a caring career rather than a technology career? We, we sort of need to figure out together how, how, how we stop that. Yeah, I mean, just on that, I, I think it's really important that we support the good stuff and we support the good examples, but I think we've also got to be aware, as kind of Sharon was touching on there, that there are also many negative messages that girls are receiving and young women are receiving about you know what their role in society is I mean obviously it's a much bigger question than just about women's role in tech but you know if you think about how quite a lot of boys often might get into tech through gaming for example you know recently um, some friends of mine their son has gone to work for the company Rockstar you know huge employer including in parts of the UK like Dundee for example really really big employer but actually, if girls are trying to be engaged in gaming and all they're getting through that process is, you know, a load of kind of misogynistic abuse and they think this isn't something for me, then that's a big problem. So we need to tackle the bad stuff as well as promoting the good stuff. But Annalisa, isn't that going back to the very first question that Katie asked, what is a tech job? And if we're, we're all making an assumption that maybe girls want to go down particular careers, whether it's a social or environmental or health and the challenge that we have is trying to explain to girls that th- those are tech jobs. We want a high paid, you know, a, a fantastic job. Tech will give you the answer because all of these problems that we have at the moment, the solution will be provided by tech. And we can't have the men deciding what the decisions are or putting together uh, a regime for the future when it comes to a number of these issues. So the challenge is how do we explain to these girls and their educators that whatever interest they have, there will always be a tech element. And fundamentally, if you adopt a tech career, you'll be paid a hell of a lot more than if you try and and do it in any other way. Can I just touch on one more thing, which is how do we retain women? Because they just leave the workforce once they enter. And that is a massive issue. And that's one that only, I think, employers can deal with. You know, why aren't women promoted? Why are they not retained, especially if they leave for caring duties? Because there is a global challenge of getting more people into this field. And one of the things that the government is doing is getting people back into work. 75 thousand STEM people have left work and now it's about getting them back in and, and there's a new government funding program about 150k to get them back in and that's what we really need to focus on not only getting them into the job in the first place working out why they're leaving and once they've left is getting them to come back in because we, we just we can't waste any of our talent pool at either end at you know either at the school end or even once they've, they've had a couple of years experience under the belt. So this might be a rare point of disagreement, uh, maybe between uh, myself Go and Michelle. I'll, I'll moderate, I'll moderate. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, I, I agree with everything that was just said, apart from the fact that absolutely employers are critically important here and you really see the big difference between different companies and how they deal with this. But there is that role for government as well. And of course, the pilot scheme that government has announced around this, of course, it's a positive thing. But when I speak to women in science and technology, engineering, who are having issues, you know, going back to their previous jobs, continuing along that career trajectory, a lot of the time it will be because, for example, they can't find the affordable childcare 
that they need or their job is not flexible enough, not inherently because of that job, but because of the fact that we don't have an approach to flexibility at the moment under legislation which really supports women in the workplace. So I do think there's a lot more that government can do there around supporting those women. It's not just down to the businesses. And, and, and Annalise, on that, do you mean flexible working? Is that the type of thing you're talking about here? Yeah? Uh, absolutely. Look, I mean, women, whatever profession, have these challenges. The reality is if you're in a tech role, you're much more likely to be higher paid, to have more flexibility and massively to be in demand. So I'm not diminishing. These, these are real issues. But I think, you know, for women, you can have more control, higher paid roles, more choices uh, if, you t- if you take that career. I think coming back to, you know, why it's good news to have women in technology, I think the reality is history is laden with poor product development because men thought it was a good idea to develop a VR headset that a woman can't put on her head or a smartphone that's too heavy or a Fitbit that doesn't understand the menopause or pregnancy or or all of these things, yeah. So standing back is absolutely in the interests of organisations to get more women into tech, into organisations, keep and grow them. And this on that, I mean, we're talking in there a bit about the benefit, but what's the government perspective on the what the tech industry would benefit from in terms of diversifying its pool? Is it partly what Sharon's talking about there, which is we see it in government decision making. We can talk about the pandemic when you don't have a woman in the room. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm just catching up for this podcast, but, you know, PwC to Forbes, all of the research shows that if you have diverse people in your organisation, you're just going to be more productive and more profitable. And as mentioned earlier on, you're going to have solutions that are going to be fit for everybody in the community, not just for the men. So we definitely need more women getting involved and also being a part of designing our future, because that's what we're losing out on. Because It's only going to be designed from a male perspective. So uh, continue to do a huge amount of work at primary school level, but trying to follow those young women through to university and trying to work out... Well, we know because they've often women often will say that they think that these jobs are for the boys, that the, the technology is male dominated. What I haven't realised until I've done the research and asked around is that for tech jobs in particular, there's a huge amount of mentoring that takes place, and many more men are, are mentored than, than females. So, how do we make sure that women are mentored too? But we can't just rely on the women in tech to mentor them because we know there aren't enough of them to go around. So it's getting men to mentor females to make sure they adopt a career and, and stay in that career too. I think the work that we're recently doing in getting more people back into STEM it is going to be absolutely critical. We're competing internationally and sometimes when I deal with even the foundation industries because of their desire to reach net zero, they're all scrambling for people with tech experience. So whatever career you want to do as a young woman, there'll be, there'll be a STEM element to it. And, and the point is to encourage people to follow that STEM route. Because as mentioned earlier, it'll be a high-valued, high-paid job, which will enable you to have much more control over your life and your career. Now, I want to talk about bridging the gap in quotas, but just one question on STEM before we go there, which is, Annalisa, obviously we have a situation where Rishi Sunak has his own idea here, making maths mandatory, (laughs) which isn't going to happen yet. And you could say perhaps that's more stick than carrot, if I was told I had to do that. But do you think that would be something that could help? We're talking about how you incentivise, but actually just getting people to do literally more studying in these areas. I mean, of course, 
where there's you know good quality provision around mathematics, engineering, technology in general, that's going to be really, really important. I mean, I would go back again to the point that we need to see, and you know, I kind of will be careful with the way that I put this here, but we, we should not be seeing senior figures, for example, saying that maths is not for girls, you know, that they can't have a career in physics because they tend not to be interested in maths. I mean, that's obviously not true. So we need to make sure that kind of negativity is not coming from senior levels of organisations. But I do think we also need to have more continuity here around these questions. We've had Shion Wura, who you know, is a shadow minister for science and technology. She's been in role kind of banging that drum for women in tech for a very, very long time. She was an electrical engineer when she was on Sivvy Street, now obviously an MP, you know, arguing for the changes that are needed and really making the same arguments over a very long period of time around what needs to change, you know, touching on a lot of the things that we've just been discussing now. I think that continuity is important because we've seen on the government side, a lot of turbulence here. I'm really pleased that we're having this conversation with Nusrat now, but we've had, I think, nine changes in science minister, you know, over recent years. So I think more continuity will help as well as individual initiatives. Now, Sharon, I think if we're looking at what businesses can do to ultimately try and bridge the gap that we're currently seeing, one thing that often can come up is quotas as a way to go for the gender gap. But this can draw criticism. Lots of companies will say, well, you might be compromising on merit to meet targets. Is that something we should be worried about? Or do you think that can play quite a positive role? So look, I sit in Lloyd's Banking Group, 50% women at our Exco, 40% women in our top 7,000. So I think you've got an example of a good company that over multi years has done the right thing and is moving in the right direction. And for sure, we had targets. I think we were the first FTSE 100 to have targets for women. We were the first FTSE 100 to have targets for ethnic diversity. So I think there's absolutely a place for targets. Quotas, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's a bridge to cross that I think takes you in the wrong direction. But I do think it's good for government to put appropriate pressure into the sort of corporate environment to say this is really important so that we're all moving forward in the right direction. And on that, is there anything particular that pressure from the government that you think from your industry perspective is the thing which perhaps you've seen for your career has had the biggest impact yeah or I, I thought um, when Vincent Cable you know there was that moment when there was some real conversations about needing to get women on boards I thought that was done well it, it was multiple parties working together uh, and actually I think that did change the narrative so I think positive conversations continuing to message that this is really important it's noticed when you have boards that don't have representation or senior teams that don't have representation. I think these are good conversations for government to be having with organisations. And Annalisa, on that, would you like to see a quota approach or do you think targets are quite an effective tool here? And I think we see a huge variety across different businesses. I mean, one thing that encourages me around this, as with, in fact, change around environmental factors and representation of Black, Asian, minority, ethnic people in companies, is that there is a competition, I think, now amongst the kind of higher achievers on this. But sometimes you do need hard rules. I mean, I'd say around gender pay, for example, you know, when that was a voluntary approach, you saw very often the companies that had really switched on HR teams who knew this was great for the company releasing their gender pay stats. Of course, they then got kind of shouted down because they tended to be awful because, you know, many companies were awful. When that was then something required across the sector and across all companies, then you could really have a proper comparison. So rather than necessarily kind of 
mandating precise figures or whatever, what we do really need around this is we need to have more transparency and more data. I think that really can drive change, actually. And we would say, you know, again, when it comes to gender pay, if you're only comparing within one organisation, you can't always get a very good picture of what progression looks like. If you're able to compare across companies, you know, which is what we've kind of advocated, you can have a better idea of what's going on, what might need to change and how you can hit best practice, which I think a lot of companies want to be doing now. And Nuss on that, do you think if we had greater transparency or data in terms of what some of these companies are doing, that could be helpful? It's always helpful, but I think there's something else happening here because I spend a lot of time with businesses across every sector, I've got automotive to critical minerals, and they're all desperately trying to recruit people with a STEM background. And I think some companies may not have been transparent previously and may have had some issues, but they now know they have to make themselves attractive to have women come and work for them. So there is a a huge desire to attract more women into the workforce and they're just going to have to perform better. The only way they can perform better is by showing how they treat the women they already have in the workforce. So it's about making sure that they show that, you know, women don't leave, that they, they are paid well, that they are promoted appropriately. So I think the competition will change the game completely, to be honest. But of course, always more transparency and more data, because we know that women think, A, this isn't a job for them, and B, this is a job for the boys. So if you can showcase that you're not doing that in a firm, you're going to be able to get the most talented women to come forward and work for you. Just to build with a slightly different slant, I think um, we've talked about tech women, STEM women. I I do think there's also an agenda around reskilling. So women or or, or men, frankly, who have got valuable skills, but they're not in tech. And I think as as organisations and government, I I think um, we've got a responsibility to reach into our workforces, into our communities and figure out what good reskilling paths are. And uh, I mean, we've got some fantastic examples of branch managers that we're reskilling to be quality engineers they never felt or thought that that would be a career path that would be open to them so I think you know we need to have a more open mind to, to the whole reskilling agenda yeah you actually read my mind there as well. <laughs> I was going to say, because we spent a lot of time talking obviously about school university but one of the big things is ultimately lots of people change their career later on in life and I think particularly with something like tech it's a natural thing where you think the younger generation understand it more and they can work their phone better and perhaps you give them the, your phone to fix for you. <laughs> um, but I suppose trying to say to older age groups or demographics that there is a path for you to retrain can be a challenge. How have you found it, I was wondering to Sharon, in terms of is there a way of reaching out to that group that's particularly effective? Is it some of the similar stuff we've been saying? Uh, yeah, so the reskilling for a varied age group. I think as an organisation, you need to show that you're open to those sorts of career paths. And in the same way, role models for women who are in STEM or engineering, I think you need role models for older workers reskilling. And don't always think that the younger workforce are. They may be digitally savvy, but they may not actually have tech skills in any greater numbers than older workers. Yeah, so I think sometimes that can be a misconception. Okay, I'm going to wrap up in my final two questions. And the first one's a bit mean, which is just, I wondered, can anyone on this panel code? I mean, my husband's a coder, so I did once attend a coding class. Did not go very well, but I can do one line of JavaScript, so. <laughs> so I did, at one point, make my own website, this is a long, long time ago, using HTML language, 
but it was it was pretty rubbish. But I mean, it was a long time. You still made it. Uh, I can sort of using Scratch make a robot dance, but I don't think that's uh, that's going to be useful for anything. That's, that's much cooler. <laughs> I was going to say like kind of did beat us both. So um, thanks for that. <laughs> and then the, the final question I had was, and I'd say this advice I. I, I think that's not even make it age specific. But I mean, if anyone is listening to this and we've been talking about the high pay, so they may well be wondering this, thinking about making a career change into kind of the tech industry. So I wonder what your initial advice would be. I think it's going to be different for different age groups. I think if you're at school, college, uh, university, if you've got an opportunity to get involved in STEM or in technology in any way, I'd really advise you to grab hold of that opportunity because, you know, the future is technology. Um, technology is pervasive. It's pretty much in everybody's job. As I said, whether you're designing, building or running technology or frankly, whether you're using it. So I just think it's good news for young talent to be you know, taking advantage of those opportunities in education. I think when you're already in work, I think if you're in tech, stay in it, be ambitious, aim to get to the top. There's a real desire in organisations to have more women in technology in senior roles. So it is your moment almost to have a fantastic career path. I think if you're not in tech, but want to get into it, don't count yourself out have an open mind and get on one of our apprenticeship schemes and you can you know sort of learn to code and learn to be in technology so I think you know it's slightly different depending on on your sort of life stage Hmm. yeah no that that sounds like excellent advice to me and I think also having confidence in yourself and knowing that actually you're needed you know you're needed by our country we need to be an innovation nation you know Chion Wura often uses that phrase we should be that innovation nation I mean we need to be promoting tech in our country you know we've had long period of sluggish growth we need to be building back strongly now and I would say you know when I look at some of the new technologies coming through goodness I, I sound very much a previous generation here but some of the stuff that I've seen just on my doorstep actually in Oxford that's been developed that I would never have imagined would have been possible even kind of 20 years ago this is a very exciting career path it is a career path for women and we need to have women on that trajectory otherwise we're just not going to be delivering for our country in the way that we need high paid flexible working you have a massive impact and also many women have children and it allows you to keep up with them (laughs) so there's a great reason to to go in and stay in tech And with that, (laughs) thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Ness. And thank you, Annalisa.